Hello friends, welcome to Medicine, Marriage, and Money podcast, the only podcast for physicians who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a relationship coach and high-performance coach, Dr. Please help me welcome our guests on today's episode of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Dr. George and Vanessa Nam, otherwise known as Jeep, affectionately known as Jeep. Dr. Jeep Nam and Vanessa Nam have been coaching married couples for over 25 years and have been married for 30 years. Jeep graduated from West Virginia School of Osteopathic Medicine and practiced family medicine for over 25 years. Dr. Nam is also a published author of numerous articles in medical literature, as well as an Amazon bestselling book, What's Forever For? A Physician's Guide for Everlasting Love and Success in Marriage. Vanessa is a relationship and intimacy coach trained in the Somatica Method from the Somatica Institute, San Francisco, California, where she provides an insight not often seen in marriage coaching. Through the years, Vanessa and George have seen the best and the worst of marriages in the context of medical practice, coaching, and amongst those closest to them. They also have three beautiful children, and a rescue greyhound who they believe is 13 years old. So welcome. Welcome, Jeep and Vanessa. Thank you so much, Dr. K. Yeah. So why don't you, first of all, let's just get the hardest question out of the way. What is y'all's definition? Intermarital interdependence. Marital interdependence. I think a really good way to explain that we each have to allow ourselves with each other to be individuals, but then we come together and we're married. And so because we're married, it's no longer just the two of us. There is a relationship. So what we like to say is it's no longer me and him it's we. I have to. I have to agree with that, and um, it's the way I always, when I was younger, drew out what I pictured a marriage to be. It, I didn't get married till I was thirty-three, and a lot of that was because of training, as you well understand. It. it not that I didn't have other relationships, but it he didn't, didn't find me. Well, <laughs> yeah, but that's the way I worked it out. You each were your own individual selves, but you, you came together really the best of yourselves and the worst of yourselves, but you made it work in a relationship between the two of you. Yeah. And so how, and how did you go from family medicine physician to coach relationship coach? That was pretty simple. Um, We had done it, like we said, for over 25 years in the volunteer realm, and it just seemed like it was a natural transition. So he can answer the doctor part of that. I I, um, was wanting to do something like this full time. Um, I had, as you stated in the bio, done this in the context of our practice. I mean, let's face it, as physicians, we're coaches to begin with. 
because we're yeah. trying to we're trying to get our patients, coach them to do what they're supposed to do. I mean, we guide them, but it's up to them. They take the impetus. They know for the most part what they what they need to do. We just help them get there. And coaching couples, uh, married couples, whether it's you know non-physician, it's a lot of the same thing. And I got to a point where uh, the older that I got, um, I'll let you in on a secret. I'll be 63 in two weeks. Um, <laughs> is that I, I wanted to be able to do that full time. Um, it was we were doing it um, and did it regularly. Most of ours was the, uh, doing weekend retreats. But I wanted to do it more full time because I get a tremendous amount of satisfaction being able to see couples, physician or not, be able to move on with their lives and know that they themselves have done what they've needed to do. And we've just kind of given them guidance as far mm-hmm. as what to do, because people know what uh, most of the time they know what's going on. They just need help um, uh, getting to the goal. Mm-hmm. Is this something you found you did with patients in clinic or no time for that? No, I did. I, I tell you, as a family doc, uh, I came from a residency that focused a lot uh, on um, behavioral health. And uh, okay. it was a very strong component. And I was very comfortable with it. And I had a lot of patients, uh, whether it was about marriage, whether it was about another issue, they were quite comfortable talking to me about it. And when I would say, um, how about if I refer you to uh, this therapist. Well, actually, Doc, I'd rather talk to you. And so that became a regular theme. And so um, I, uh, like I said, became comfortable with it and began to like it more and more and more because uh, most of the outcomes, were they completely favorable? Um, a lot were, some weren't, but at least progress was made. And I just really started to like that quite a bit. So here we are. So you had to open up time slots, right? Because that takes more time than just your regular routine visit. How did you do that in your practice? Well, I, you know, I, I'm an old-fashioned, was an old-fashioned doc that, um, yeah, there were, there were spots. I tried to go by spots, but oftentimes I didn't go by spots. And sometimes thing just things would just come up in in the context of what was going on and we would get diverted. And first thing you know, we're talking about something else that may not be initially what they came in for, or it might be. Um, So yes, it took a lot of time, but those were some of the visits that I got the most uh, enjoyment out of doing. Um, So as time goes on, as you know, Dr. Kate, we're, have become more restricted by time as far as how much time we spend with our patients. I don't have that issue right now. Okay. And then what about you, Vanessa? Because you trained in, you know, San Francisco, California. Mm -hmm. When were you guys in training together? Like were you or was he already a physician at that point? We met in Pittsburgh and um interestingly enough, I had relocated to Pittsburgh Um, because I had gotten divorced. So my first marriage ended in divorce and the contributing factor was um, alcoholism. So addiction. And 
I refer to as I could lead the horse to water, but that horse wouldn't drink. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we always say it takes two people to make a marriage and he just was not capable of doing that, nor did he want to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from a time I was a little girl, I had imagined what I wanted in a marriage. And, um, Unfortunately, I kind of duplicated what I saw in my family. I, I come from a very traditional Italian family. So I married Italian and uh, made my parents happy. Unfortunately, um, it was like going right back into my parents' relationship. So I knew what I wanted and I relocated to Pittsburgh. And um, after being there, he and I met and he was in, an intern at the time and actually did not live in Pittsburgh. So we had a long distance relationship for about six months and fast forward, we went through residency together and then we got married and started his practice. And, you know, back in the time when uh, he was a solo practitioner and I managed all the business and, um, we really, really had a lot of fun together, absolutely loved working together. So in this space, we get to do that all over again, and we're just in love with it. So you, okay, so you helped him open his practice. You helped manage that. Yes, I'm an accountant by training. I have a master's in finance and um, came from an entrepreneurial family. So it was just very natural that I went immediately right into that and I handled all the business. He handled all the medicine. I was so far on the spectrum to one side of business, and he was so far to the other spectrum of medicine that we negotiated. You know what? It was it was great practice in negotiating what was how we were going to do it. And of course, we had you know our mission and objectives, and the objective was that we would treat patients the way we wanted to be treated as a patient. So um, it just really was a great time. And then, as you know, the, you know, corporatization of medicine has really um, left very little space for uh, entrepreneurial physicians or physicians that are owning their own practices. I would say, Dr. Kate, um, she said I was over here with uh, finances and she was, uh, I was woefully ill-prepared. And on top of that, um, my dad, was, uh, who was a physician, was woefully unprepared, made so many uh, horrible financial decisions that not only affected his own practice, but it affected, you know, myself, my mom, God rest her soul. Um, and a lot of it was he was uh, he was a narcissist. Still is, but not as bad as he was before. But we get along. I, I just have come to accept that that's that's the way he that's the way he was. But um, it was very detrimental. And so when I got um, fortunately, I hadn't started practice uh, before we got together, and we kind of made a decision. Um, before we got married, that she was going to be the office manager. And um, she knew about it. She was trained in management. She was trained in finances. She was trained as, a, as a, um, an accountant. And so I would have been a fool if I didn't take advantage of that. 
she runs all that with our marriage. And I have proven I'm better, but uh, she's the one who knows and has the smarts and enlightens me so often. So I know, I know that that's one of the things you do with the financial aspects. And um, fortunately, I married somebody who knew so much more about this than me. Yes, including your father. Okay, mm-hmm. I have a question about that. So how is that? What if, okay, what if you have a client come to you and they're married to somebody like your father, a narcissist? Mm-hmm. Is there hope? that relationship? We always say that there is hope, but just like it takes two um, to get married, it takes two to make a marriage. And and back to what I said about my ex-husband, we can lead the horse to water, but if the horse won't drink, it's pretty hard to make somebody do something they don't want to do. so yes, can people change? Absolutely. We've, we've seen the changes. However, um, in, in the case of narcissism, they really have to dig down deep and decide what do they really want? Well, let me give you an example. As much as I said to myself before we got married that I, I wanted to be nothing like my dad, I found myself at times having... Um, doing things that he would do in the context of conversations and communications, and I wasn't realizing it. Like give it, give me an example. Like for instance, um, there would be uh, Vanessa and I had a different way of arguing, um, and I it was my way of wanting to continue. Um, I don't want to say, Ari, but it was a difference of opinion and continue to work at it until we found a resolution. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I would keep her up until five or six o'clock in the morning. This is discussion that's gone on for sometimes eight hours because I was insistent that this is the way that it had to do. And so years later, Vanessa tells me, you know, most of the time, I just let you have your way because I wanted to go to sleep. And I knew I, and so, you know, it, these things were happening and I wasn't, um, I wasn't realizing it. So it takes your partner um, courage to be able to do that. And then you have to be vulnerable to be able to listen to that and that's the kind of thing that, you know, a huge difference with my dad is there was never a vulnerability. It was always, I was right, no matter what, whether it's blue skies, I'm going to tell you it's gray or I'm going to tell you it's black. That's the way it is. Even though you are blatantly wrong, that's the way it is. And so when I would do these things, thankfully, because I, I wasn't doing it on purpose, it, but these kind of traits were raised in in an environment like that. Yeah. Behavior is learned. So when we watch our parents, um, you know, parents, grandparents, whatever, um, the people who took care of us, when they, when we watch them in relationship, there are so many subconscious things that just go on that we pick up maybe 
don't even realize we're, we're going there. Um, and so, you know, part of our program is having um, docs really understand and become more self-aware of what are these past, you know, past programming, so to speak, versus healthy programming uh, and reprogramming so that both couples get what they want in the marriage. Got it. Okay. So, yeah. And what is that way? Like, cause I know you have the specific training, right? Mm -hmm. What, how does, how does that method, what is that method like? The method is a somatic method. Um, and what that basically means is that we're getting not only our head on board, but we're getting our body on board. Um, and as physicians, you all are in your head constantly. And I had to learn just how much in my head I am. I'm a, I'm a thinker and um, it takes me time to make decisions. And I go through all the crazy analysis. I'm very analytical. And so the Somatica method. So it's retraining ourselves to get out of our head and get our body back on board. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you do that? Breath is a big example. In um, in breathing, and it, it's one other thing that you uh, that you get into is uh, as you're breathing, focusing on different areas of your body, mm-hmm. and in doing that, you're you're able to get out of your head and into your body. Oh, yeah. it's kind of like meditating. It sounds kind of like meditating. Yeah. It's a, I guess you could say that it's a, you know, a type of medication, but you're really drilling down into body parts. Ah, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and can you tell me like how you've seen this affect like your clients? Oh. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm obviously postmenopausal, and I don't have the hormones that I once did. So um, I wouldn't say obviously. You definitely don't have to say obvious. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? It's so frustrating. And there are folks out there that are, you know, suffering. I I would wander around thinking, what is wrong with me? Because, of, of course, desire was a huge issue. And you would be surprised at the number of people that think, because they don't have desire that they don't love their partner and that's just false. And, um, that's one of the myths. And, you know, part of our program is demythifying. Yeah. I made up that word. Um, demythifying, um, some of the beliefs that we have about relationships and marriage that, um, are just false. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So they're getting into their body now. Mm-hmm. Now, what is the goal? Is the goal to um, bring back the desire or just be okay with it? Or what is that goal? The goal is to not only get our head in the game, of course, that's okay. important, but we need to get our body into the game as well. Okay. So there are various exercises that we have part of the somatica method that, um, that teach you and guide you into getting back into your body and increasing okay. desire. I'll tell you how, and, and you know, this is pretty, I mean, it's, 
it makes me it makes me look like an idiot, but I'll own it. And that is, you know, I'm uh, a bit in family practice. I know enough about um, the aging issues sexually that happen with mm-hmm. both men and women. And so, so, you know, there are times that there's this frustration on a partner where your um, things that you did in, um, let's say, sessions were um, appealing, were fulfilling, and then all of a sudden they're not. And so you start to well, you start to think, well, why? Why all of a sudden? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, frequency is decreased. And not that it has to be, but but there has to be communication about it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, um, that's not the case often. So he wasn't getting it. Well, yeah, <laughs> p- pretty much. He wasn't getting it. And, and so <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm a very affectionate person and she can tell you. And so we have uh, a, we, I'll just call it, we have a desire discrepancy. So uh-huh. going through this training, I learned tools, how to, you know, get my body back in, back in the game. So she would say, you know, are you, are you just thinking about yourself and, and would have mm-hmm. to tell me biological things that are happening that, I already knew, but my desire and unfortunately too much into my own head, selfishness that I'm thinking about what I want. And as she's telling me this about the biological things that are happening with her, I'm like, well, yeah, no kidding. So, you know, that was a breakthrough that really should have never had to happen. And that's where I needed to get out of my head and into my body to try to feel and empathize what she was experiencing. The more pressure I received from him, um, let's just say there was no desire in that. Absolutely none. So when he got it and understood and empathized, I felt so cared for and desire came back. It may not have been, you know, from hormones because I have none. So I have to rely on, on my body and other things. Um, I was in a better space mentally, therefore brought my, you know, brought my body along with it. So imagine not being able to quote, perform biologically through no fault of your own, but then you add on top of that resentment. Yeah. Forget it. Pressure. Pressure and resentment. Pressure and resentment. So that's a killer. Whatever's whatever's hoped to be. Forget it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So no, this brings up a huge topic, right? Because so many couples, they have uh, communi- they, I mean, we have communication issues all day long where right. we're not being understood right. or, or we may get in little fights about things like where to put the TV, you know, right. where to hang the TV on the wall. And, and then later that night, somebody wants, you know, to make love and the other person's like still thinking about the TV on yeah. the wall. So how <laughs> do you get past that? So well, I, what I'm hearing is like, yeah, what were you going to say, Jeep? No, what I was going to say is 
what we coach is that intimacy mm-hmm. for a lot there's multiple types but intimacy mm-hmm. physical starts when you get out of the bed in the morning and it, it and it's how you treat your spouse throughout the day and you're bringing up you brought up little things like where's mm-hmm. the tv so you you get up in the morning you um say your spouse is still in bed, you get up early, you decide you're going to go and you're going to wash dishes that are in the sink. Or you're going to, uh, there's a mess on the floor somewhere one of the kids um, did that you may have missed from the night before. So you've got it in your mind. You're going to, you're going to do these things for your spouse um, mm-hmm. out of love. It's going to increase your connection during the day. So, so you, you do that, or you get the kids up. Maybe you take them to uh, either daycare, or you take them to where they're going. You take on that responsibility, so your spouse doesn't have to. So these are these are things that you do out of love and respect mm-hmm. for your spouse throughout the day, and it doesn't have to be a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. But even if it's just one or two things, you're you know. When she does it for me, I, it just um, increases my love and respect, and it really um, gets that spark going. And as we talk, does it the same thing for her. Now, am I thinking, especially when I get up in the morning, I want to have sex with my wife or my husband that night? No, but doing things like that certainly isn't going to uh, hurt your case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's perfect. It's like all the little things. Yeah, Hallmark hit it out of the ballpark. The little <laughs> things mean a lot. Absolutely. And they do. Yeah. So what if, okay, what if one person in the relationship is just not feeling understood? Then um, we would highly recommend that they consider our our program. And then, yes, of course. And we teach how to get past that. Just to to tell you, you, you start off a conversation Mm -hmm. by saying, okay, why are you not feeling understood? Mm -hmm. How long have you not been feeling understood? Uh, And because a lot of times it's far more than just feeling understood. There are other issues that are uh, that go into it. And so you have to address those at the same time and you continue to work at it um, until they are feeling understood. Mm-hmm. I, I've always believed that um, you could meet in the middle on most things. Do couples is, are there, is there a boundary that just says, well, no, I can't move from that. Um, we may differ a little bit in how we look about that, but I always think, that if there's a willingness to have your partner feel understood, that you can get to a mid-ground. And mm-hmm. is it exactly what you want? Is it exactly what she wants? No, but there's a little bit, and maybe more than a little bit, that each of you wants. And that's what you strive for. Yeah, just negotiating it. Yeah, neg- negotiating However, I don't know very many people that can just come out and say, I'm not feeling understood because what that does is 
you step on each other's triggers and then boom, you're in a fight and an argument. So, you know, we have a way of teaching couples to get, get through that. And everybody's a little different. You have to, everybody's a little different. Sometimes you have to go at a much slower pace and Mm -hmm. you just have to kind of feel that out a little bit. Some don't want to go real quickly. And and if that's the case, that's fine. Yeah. All right. You'd have to take every different scenario individually. Right. right? Okay. And then let's just tie everything back together at the end. Cause we started out with you at your own practice Jeep and Vanessa, there's your accountant managing everything on the finances side. And let's bring that back home. So what is your financial household situation look like? Who's decides who gets to spend what on things, experiences, who sets the budget? Does she give you an allowance, Jeep? Go ahead. Tell her, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, let's say that through, um, through the years, I've come to understand Mm -hmm. that she's right. And Um, One of the things I talk about in the book is um, something called financial infidelity. And um, financial infidelity is when you go ahead and make a purchase, usually have a substantial amount of money without talking to your spouse about that purchase. And it it can be a huge issue. And so um, if you have a habit of doing that, it's going to cause all kinds of communication issues. And in the past, just make it to not too uh, drawn out. Um, I uh, We were looking for some accents. And so we went to an art gallery. And I like um, Thomas Kincaid. So we went to an art gallery in Pittsburgh. So we bought one. But I, you know, Vanessa was talking to the person and, and completing the sale. And I got home and I'm like, I want more of these. Um, she had felt, had said something about wanting one and that was enough. Well, I got on the phone, talked to the, uh, to the, the head of the gallery and I ordered two more. And my rationale was that she's going to see these fall in love with them. And she's going to be okay and, and think that that was a, that it was an appropriate expense that I decided on myself. Well, she saw these come in, shipped in, and she was furious. And understandably, that, that she had every right to be furious. Uh, and so what I was doing was taking, uh, taking away something that she may have had in her mind that she wanted to spend money on or she wanted us as a couple in a family to spend money on. And here is money that was earmarked for that. That's now gone because of my own selfishness. So that's what, that's where that term came from in um, not going into big detail, but my dad was horrible about that growing up. So here again, some of this residual stuff from how I'm raised is is still there, but I haven't done that again. How did we fix that? We took them back. Oh, perfect. So they were they were returnable. They yes. were returnable, yes. and you know yes. they were big purchases. Those those 
you know, we talk about small purchases and large purchases. That was a major purchase that we had agreed um, that we would talk about. You know, that was one of our agreements, big purchases. We would talk about them. And um, but, you know, he he was very good at, well, I'll get it. She'll <laughs> love it. And, you know, that's a form of manipulation, right? She'll fall in love with it and then I'll get my way. And so that was another discussion. And so I, I guess the big thing is mm-hmm. uh, to, to wrap that that part up is you just have to you have to uh, communicate regularly. Mm-hmm. You need to set a time aside, you know, with with your busy life, whatever it is, if you're a doctor, lawyer, whatever mm-hmm. it is, you despite what your um uh, the limited amount of time you need to make time for that. Even if you have to get into each other's schedules and calendars, you say, okay, on this day, looks like you have some space. Let's take an hour, whatever, to get into talking about this. Where are we from an investment point of view? If we have enough to do that, where are we from future purchases that we want to make? Where are we here? What are our bills like? Because if you don't do that, it's it's just a you know it creates a, a wall that that is that doesn't have to be. Yeah, that gets yeah. higher and higher. Yep. Yep. Well, that was just wonderful. I think we like touched everything there: the medical practice, intimacy and desire mm-hmm. mismatch, and and regular communication, getting out mm-hmm. your calendar, and planning the time to connect. So was there anything else you want to leave with our audience today? Anything we didn't discuss or maybe something we did discuss and you just want to reiterate? Um, what what I like to leave uh, with is if you, um, if you feel like you're alone in how you feel, don't feel that way. Some of us, um, especially in our field, Dr. Kate, uh, have – have a difficult time, feel embarrassed, don't want to bring things up, uh, don't feel that way because there's more people out there than you could ever imagine that feel the same way, have the same issues. Mm-hmm. Take a step in in love, in care to try to do something about how you're feeling and the issues that you have. And the second thing mm-hmm. is don't suffer in silence. Just don't, don't let it build up. Uh because the more you suffer in silence, not only is it hurting you, but it's hurting your spouse too. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, thank you so much. And Vanessa, did you have anything else to say or we'll just wrap up those beautiful points from Jeep? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on my show today, guys. Thank you for having uh, us. It was a labor of love, Dr. Kate. Love what you do, really. And thanks for having us on. Oh, what a delightful session with Dr. George and Vanessa Nam. I take home points from the Noms. Number one, don't suffer in silence. This is such a huge topic and it can relate to so many, so many reasons why we suffer. Maybe we're depressed. Maybe we're sad. Maybe we're feeling stuck. This can be in a relationship, at our work, at our job, no matter what it is, no matter what, no ma- regardless of what aspect of your life you're feeling alone, 
please remember that you aren't alone. You may be feeling that way and that's okay. But the fact of the matter is it is, it isn't true because there are so many people around you. How many millions of people are there in this world that there are so many people around you, even in your own community, in your own hospital, in your own neighborhood that are feeling the exact same way, maybe for different reasons, maybe for similar reasons. You just don't know because rarely anybody is brave enough to speak up. We don't usually talk about why we're stuck in life, why we think maybe, maybe we're considered that a failure, you know? So don't ever be afraid to ask for help. Well, you know, actually it's okay to be afraid. So be afraid and ask for help anyway. There are so many resources, so become resourceful. Take 100% responsibility for your feeling of stuck, for your sadness, for your grief, for your pain, and open up your heart. Be vulnerable with people who feel maybe the same way you do or from people who did feel the same way you did and climb their way out and figure out how they climbed their way out so that you can as well. Maybe it's just as simple as being stuck because you feel like you're fighting over the same things or you're fighting over the most ridiculous topics in your marriage, you know, about how to do the laundry, how to load the dishwasher. And you have the same fight every single night. Who wants to fight about loading the dishwasher every single night? Nobody. Yet we find ourselves getting into these arguments all the time. So if you're feeling stuck, reach out because somebody can help. Number two, desire mismatch is normal. It's not a myth. And if if this is the case in your marriage, somebody wants to make love more than the other person, maybe we should start to focus. You should start to focus on building small connections, just the tiny moments of, of affinity, of affection, of gratitude for each other. It starts from the moment you get out of bed. How can you love on your spouse? How can you be of service to your spouse? How can you shower them with affection? And shower, I don't mean 100 sentences. Just say something simple. Show them you care. Show them you love. Desire starts the the moment you wake up to the morning you go to sleep. That spark can happen at any time. And if your relationship isn't about finding admiration and finding love and finding mutual mutual shared goals and values you're working towards, then it's probably going the opposite direction, which is where we don't want it to go. So focus on building small connections. And don't be afraid to even ask. Ask for what you need without the expectation that it will always be fulfilled. But if it's never spoken, then it's never known. And no, your spouse cannot read your mind. Although that may seem cliche, we a lot of us still feel like they should. <laughs> Figure out a way. Number three, financial infidelity is not okay. <laughs> Just like relationship infidelity makes us feel terrible, it's not okay. Neither is financial infidelity. Nobody wants you to go out and spend $100,000 on a new car without discussing it with your spouse unless you make a million dollars a year and that's like pennies in the bucket, right? So come up with a number, say it's $500, $1,000, 
$10,000. If you're going to spend more than that, you're going to discuss it with each other. And it's okay if it's even $100. Okay, figure out what that number is and don't manipulate your spouse into thinking that they wanted it anyway. Isn't it beautiful, honey? Financial infidelity, be careful. Don't fall in that trap. And that is it, my sweet friends. I hope you walk away asking yourself, how can I make more time for my spouse on my calendar this week? How can I more fully understand where they're coming from in our next conversation? How can I more fully understand where they were coming from in our most recent argument? And as a physician, how am I actually already coaching my patients and don't even realize it? That is it, my friends. I hope you share this episode with somebody who needs to learn it. I mean, needs to hear it. Maybe take the little bits and nuggets you've learned and implement them in your life. So much love. My friends, please don't forget to join me on Facebook at Medicine, Marriage, and Money Facebook group. The Medicine, Marriage, and Money, or it's Medicine, Marriage, and Money Facebook group where we talk about all things relationships. My husband's group, 39.6 community, where he talks about all things finance. You know where to reach me. If you ever want to have a consult call, get yourself unstuck from your relationship or any other life situation, go head over to my website, Medicine, Marriage, and Money. Dot com and sign up. The link will be in the show notes. So much love to you and your spouse. If you are finding the concepts I teach in this podcast useful and want more in-depth, personalized support for your relationship, Consider this your invitation to join me in creating the most connected and intimate relationship with your spouse that you could dream of. Go to www.medicinemarriageandmoney.com right now and download my 18-page Medical Marriage Survival Guide and Workbook at no cost to you. It has been known to decrease fighting, rumination, and grudges between your loved ones. If you want to take it a step further, really enhance the joint connection in all of your relationships, including those most intimate and dear to you, sign up for a discovery call by clicking contact us and book a free consultation. Thank you for leaving a five-star review and for telling your friends about the podcast. You have the power to improve someone else's life simply by sharing and reviewing this podcast. Much love to you and your spouse. You are exactly where you need to be in this moment.